Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Courtside Convo here on the campus of Michigan State University for Impact Studios. I am your host, Carter Landis. I am joined by Carter Fry and Josh Rayapan. Guys, we've been off for a couple weeks. Uh, how was you guys Thanksgiving? You guys have good good breaks? Great Thanksgiving. Yeah, good Awesome. Time. As long as you guys had some good food and we just... Guys had a good time. That's good. There was a lot of basketball. Hope you did as well. I did. Thank you very much. Um, in the meantime, when we were not recording, there was another huge fight. So actually, this is something I'm kind of throwing in here. Uh, Isaiah Stewart and LeBron. That oh. happened. It's a little old news at this point, but that that was something Man, indeed. You gotta love it though. Got a little and, and little how, how I know the palace is no longer standing, but yeah. how fitting was it that it happened in Detroit? It was a malice I mean, at the Palace It couldn't have 2.0. happened anywhere else, man. The, uh, Isaiah Stewart charged him like crazy. Like, oh. Oh, like yeah. showed off some pretty impressive uh, pass rush moves. Yeah. I feel like if I was if I was uh, Dan Campbell, I'd be on his. I'd be calling Get his phone. Lines, yeah. And, and seeing him like run into the tunnel like that that yeah. was that was yeah. a little frightening. It's like, <laughs> where could he go now? Where's like, he going? Where's he? Oh, no. Was it was it the one with like the Clippers and Chris Paul with the tunnel? <laughs> Chris Paul is in the back, just waiting for him. He's like, hey, I know how to get to LeBron. Yeah, that was that was uh, something I thought maybe we should just we should talk a little bit about because I think that was the biggest story since the last time we recorded and we talked about the the fights that happened. Well, let me ask you guys: Do you think it was intentional? Do you think LeBron's backhand? I feel like was... I feel like it somewhat was, but see, I'm with, I'm, I'm with you on it's the so... somewhat where it's like, like it yeah. seems it's like there was some sort of like extra follow through. I didn't it. think like he meant he to do it, it that hard, but like, like he, he gave it, it a little extra oomph. But I yeah. don't know that he was aiming for the face. No, it didn't, I don't think he was. I don't think he was aiming for the face, but like. I do think he was definitely trying to, you know, get a little tap in there. But definitely think, yeah, definitely yeah. think he was trying to get the, you know, he was trying to swing his arm yeah. back so he could get a yeah. a, a more firm uh, box out there. But then he ended up hitting him in the face, and that was yeah. Isaiah Stewart was bleeding all over the place. I was like, wow. What did you guys think of the punishments, the suspensions? Not there was it was nothing, yeah, and I'm I mean, not surprised. No, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I honestly thought it was somewhat fair. Like one, what was it? One for LeBron. Two for Isaiah Stewart. Isaiah, yeah. I was like, you know, I'm I'm okay with that. LeBron gets something. I, Isaiah's not out for two weeks. I I, I was scared they were going to give him like five to ten. I don't think I thought it was going to be yeah. something like that too. All right, so something that broke just today. We were talking about the Isaiah Stewart and LeBron. That's kind of old, but something that broke just a couple hours ago was that the Portland Trailblazers have fired their general manager and president of basketball operations, Neil Olshey. After an investigation finds a decade-long environment of toxic workplace behavior, uh, this was a Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports story. It mentions uh, intimidation tactics and profanity-laced tirades, and it, and it and it caused his employees a lot of uh, mental and physical stress, uh, according to the story. And uh, this is just you know this is echoes of of the Sarver stuff we talked about, and. It's once again, it's it's what what NBA organization is this not happening in? You know what I mean? No, absolutely. So. And the fact that this is the GM and not like someone at the top, it means that you know even if the people at the top weren't you know displaying the same behavior he was, they were obviously allowing it to happen, and for way too long too, which is the you know hard hard part to stomach. I mean, yeah, hundred percent. I have to agree with you guys on you know it's just. It's sad that this is what it's you know coming down to, but at the same time, you know it's good that you know I see more and more teams being more proactive on this. And, you know, the more people that come out, the more people that tell the truth about their stories, and the more you know that these type of things come out to the public, and the more 
people get fired for this, I feel like it's going to create more of that environment. Like we said, you know, last time we we're talking about Sarver, you just, you can't be content with, you got to go out and, you know, look for these type of things. You got to, you know, you got to be proactive on it and proactive, you know, proactively against this type of behavior. And, you know, it's a step in the right direction. And obviously, you know, there's probably plenty more out there. And, you know, that's scary to think about, especially, you know, with people, you know, sports fans, sports media, you know, et cetera. But, you know, it, it's somewhat, you know, a little, you can take a little comfort knowing that, you know, at least we're flipping that page right now. I hope it encourages more employees in in workplaces to to uh, speak out about it, and I and I also hope that it encourages NBA organizations to look inward and maybe realize see if they're kind of uh, doing these kind of same things uh, to their employees, and maybe realizing okay, this isn't the best workplace environment, and 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 listening when people come to them and saying so-and-so is, is doing this and this is just not good for anyone's mental health, physical health. It's a horrible workplace environment. No, no, no business should be run like this. So, I mean, I, I hope it, I hope it encourages uh, more open dialogue and things like that, especially within the NBA where you have a lot of people working for organizations and it's a rigorous job. You know, the, the NBA schedule is nonstop and, People do a lot of work, and, and, and it can get strenuous. So I, I think everybody in these organizations has to make sure that they are, from bottom to top, operating the best they can. No, absolutely. And I think that it also should be noted that their president and CEO did step down last month. Yeah. That they you know have had a coaching change very recently, and you know, it seems like there has been – this isn't the first like little shakeup in the – Trailblazers organization there's you know this investigation was definitely prompted by you know something you know stuff that they've been uncovering in the past so this wasn't the first step in uncovering this you know stuff within the Trailblazers organization and I'm assuming it won't be the last well like we said about Sarver it, it we said when's the next one going to come and I think I think the news of the the Trailblazers workplace environment came out like really shortly after we after we were done recording that so it's it it once again it's what organiza- organization is it not happening in exactly and got to work to uh combat this toxic environment and make working in the NBA fun for everybody because it should be you know and um transitioning into some basketball it was not fun at all for the Oklahoma City Thunder last night uh playing the Memphis Grizzlies as they were defeated 152 to 79 that is a 73 point defeat which is the largest margin of defeat in NBA history it was just unreal what the uh thunder went through <laughs> with the grizzlies the other day or just yesterday actually it, it Jaron Jackson had 27, which you'd think, oh, okay, you know that's mm-hmm. that's yeah. typical of him to have a good game. But the but do you want to know the kicker of all this? John Morant didn't even play. No, <laughs> no. I was about to say they didn't that. have their best player, their number one scorer. They had hold on one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine players in double figures. That was Jaron Jackson, Dylan Brooks, uh, Tyus Jones, Brandon Clark. Santi Aldama, Xavier Tillman, John Contra, 
DeAnthony Melton and Jarrett Culver all scored at least 10 points. I mean, I looked at the score when I woke up this morning, and and you see, like, the 79, and it's well, 79, right? And, or eight, Thunder at yeah, 79. 79. And I'm like, okay. like that's, that's low scoring. It's low scoring, but I've seen worse. And then you see mm-hmm. the 150, and you go, <laughs> yeah. whoa, that, that's, like, some of the most points I've seen an NBA team score, like, in recent memory. And then, like, you don't really – I didn't really put it together, like, what – that margin actually was like whether that's me being bad at math or just not realizing it then when i saw the headline 73 point win i was like oh that was 73 (laughs) points right there holy moly like that is i how did that happen in an nba game i'm i mean yeah i mean i was i still can't fathom it i was watching like thursday night football and you know watching the bulls knicks game and you know, I, you know, I, I was ready after the Bulls one. I was like, okay, I gotta go on worldwide Wobe, you know, troll on his mm-hmm. Twitter account. Love to do it after the Knicks lose. And, you know, obviously, you know, he's not gonna post the Knicks score. So nope. I go on there, I see the Knicks, you know, I see the, I see the Grizzlies score. I'm just like, oh wow, that's you know, that's, you know, it's sort of mind blowing, especially you know, modern modern NBA rules too. I mean, you can't score what more than eighty points. I mean, with your bench, I'm assuming your bench warmers were in the game too. So I mean you're not you're not getting wiped by like these stars. You're getting wiped by the second team, the guy on the last, you know, the guy on the end of the bench too. And you know, I, I will admit, you know, Shy Shy was out, but you know, I mean, it's just I don't even know how you can play another game after that. I mean, it's just uh I tweeted that uh the Thunder should hold open tryouts <laughs> after this game. Because how could a how could a group of regular people do any worse than that? I mean, if you were to legit take a random, like, group of five, like, guys that could make, like, a tryout, like, in Oklahoma, I would say yeah. that group could maybe score 40. Yeah. I would I would think, like, thir- maybe 30s, 40s, like. Couple open shots, law of averages, right? Yeah, and the fact that the Thunder only score, like, it's, ugh. Well, he- headaches are very abundant in my head the past couple, couple Hours after seeing the score. Yeah, their leading scorer was Lugens Dort. He had 15. And he was still, like, I, I saw this morning the worst plus minuses yeah. in a single game in NBA history. I can't remember who the first guy was. He, it was from, like, 10 years ago. And yeah. the record wasn't touched. I think his was minus 57. But mm-hmm. Lou Dort, I think, was is third now. And yeah, he, he minus, minus fifty three. Yeah, Jeremiah Robinson Earl was minus fifty six. Oh, yes, that was that was number two. So they had Poor guys two a rookie. of the top three worst one plus game. minuses in a game. That's terrible. I'm looking at the plus minuses for the the Grizzlies and the Thunder. I'm looking at the Grizzlies score. You got a plus forty two, plus thirty nine, plus forty two, plus fifty two. Santi Aldama highest with with the plus fifty two. He played, yeah, and and as you said, the 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 bench was just in. It was twenty eight from Aldama, twenty five from Tillman, twenty six from John Concher, uh, twenty two from DeAnthony Melton, uh, and 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 apparently on here it says that the Grizzlies fans were chanting defense <laughs> yeah, when, when they were up, up by by seventy eight. That's hilarious, my oh. goodness. I uh, but this makes me ask the question. What what is the Thunder's plan? Like, yeah, you're tanking and you're and you're fielding these non-competitive teams every single night because these guys obviously can't compete at the NBA level, or at least you're you have a bunch of young guys and barely any veterans. Like, I think the oldest guy on the team is Mike Muscala, who's like 31 or something like that. And then it's all 
young guys who were just recently picked. Darius Baisley's from 2019. Jeremiah Robinson Earl's a rookie this year. So is so is uh, Trey Mann. Uh, and then you got guys like Pokashevsky and, and Lou Dort and Isaiah Roby. And these are all guys who don't have much experience. And I know that that's kind of like their plan is to have these young guys and kind of mold together. But Shea Gill, just Alexander, does he like fit into this? If they have these 17 draft picks going forward, like at what point do you start being competitive? And, and, and at what point like does Shea kind of not fit with that anymore? I, I think that might be a little premature to ask, but well, when are you going to start competing? And then at what point do you have like Shea in his prime? No, I, I completely get what you're saying. You have Shea who's, you know, growth has accelerated, you know, a lot, I think a lot quicker than a lot of people thought over the past couple of years. And then you have all these, you know, guys in their, you know, younger 20s who, you know, you hear about their names a lot. You know, <laughs> Isaiah Roby, you know, Trey Mann, Darius Baisley. A lot of these guys with that you hear have raw talent and, you know, have a lot of potential, you know, to develop. And they just haven't yet. You just got this big, you know, group of guys that, like, they're decent. They have some talent, but they don't really fit together on a team. They, no one's really had a huge, like, spurt in development. Like, Dort's had his moments, but, you know, he he was minus 53 <laughs> last night. Like, come on. What are we doing here? I, I don't – go ahead. You know, it, it sort of reminds me a lot, and I'm sure Carter knows this, you know, as a Bulls fan, with those – you know, Bulls teams with Zach Levine. And obviously, yeah. you know, I think Shy's sort of in that same boat where, you know, Zach before the new management, where it's just, you know, he's just with all these young players. You have, like, one veteran maybe. But, you know, you don't give him, you know, 30-plus million for the next five years if he's not part of your plans. And I think he can be. Obviously, you know, you're paying Kemba Walker $27 million in the next two years with a contract in that trade. But... You know, and Lou Dort, I think you possibly, I think there's going to be lots of contenders. You only have two years left on that deal. For a $2 million deal, I'm sure you can get, you know, a lot of assets for that. You know, I know we're going to be talking about the Knicks. Maybe they go after him. They need a defensive guard like that alongside, you know, Emmanuel Quickly and Evan Fournier. And, you know, there's also Josh Giddey. I feel like Geem and Shy are, you know, are going to be that backbone in the backcourt. And, you know, I think... I hope what Sam Presti does is sort of like what the Bulls did with Zach Levine, where you can use those assets, trade up for a win-now guy in a couple of years, and, you know, maybe build off that. Because, um, you know, eventually, you know, picks run out. You know, you can't keep drafting rookies because, you know, like you said with the timeline, you know, it's going to run out eventually. So hopefully that's what I mean. That's personally what I would do if I was in the Thunder's position. But, you know, I mean, it's not like they don't have talent. They certainly have talent. It's just... You know, when when are you going to make that move to get a win now guy? And whether it's, I mean, it's not going to be next year. It's probably not going to be two or three years. But you know, it's, you know, when when are you going to, you know, be aggressive? Yeah, you're looking at 2024. Exactly. You know? It's not going to be for a while. Yeah, and I agree with you to the point that some of these guys, like, you have to decide who of these players is going to be uh, your your core going forward because you just have a ton of young guys and you don't really know how they fit. So I think a couple of these these young guys are kind of auditioning for other teams if other teams want to trade for him. Like Dort, I don't know if he fits in, you know, with them going forward. Baisley, I'm not a huge fan of Darius Baisley, to be completely honest. Jeremiah Robinson Earl, I do think, is a guy who could be something. Pokashevsky is someone we're huge fans of on this chat. And uh or in this or on this podcast, I mean. Um Yeah, and 
you know, you'll get even guys like Ty Jerome, you know, this isn't a young guy, but you know, Derek Favors being paid ten million, which is five million more than anybody else on the team. Right. You know, having that veteran presence, you know, yes, is good, and yeah, he can give you some minutes and some points and rebounds, but like you paying him ten million, and that's the most you're paying anybody. You're in a kind of a weird spot for sure. Yeah, I think they go forward with Shea Gillis, Alexander, Josh Giddy. I like Pokushevsky. I don't know how they feel about him. But also, there's a lot of good talent coming up in the future. And I know they're thinking to the future, but, like, when do you start to make that win-now decision? I think, like, is Sam Presti, like, does he have a plan or is he just accumulating picks and he'll figure it out sometime down the line? Right, and, you know, it's also important to consider this is the Thunder, the team that drafted Westbrook, Durant, and Harden pretty much in back-to-back years. I mean, that I think in back to back, I think it was three straight drafts. Yeah, it was. Yep, yep. Two thousand nine, and you know, yeah, Shea, they didn't draft Shea, you know, but he, I think he was Clippers, right? Yeah, yeah, so, Paul George, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you know, they haven't really hit on anybody recently. Yeah, that's after good. that, yeah. you know, nice run of picks there. So, you know, you got to consider: is this front office, you know, still, you know, making the right moves and looking for the right players because the game has evolved? you know, since then. Yeah, sort of just like Danny Ainge, you know, after the Paul Pierce trade, how long are you going to live off that for? And, you know, you see Celtics fans, you know, getting restless with Danny Ainge now. Oh, yeah. And, you know, with Sam Presti, you know, you can make all these big trades. You can say, oh, I swiped all these picks. But, you know, if you don't start hitting on them, they're going to come knocking for your door. What are you going to do with them? <laughs> exactly. What are you going to do with these picks? Cool, you have them. You have 17 of them. What are you going to do with them? Uh, They are just uncompetitive and i feel slightly directionless i think absolutely so moving on to some more competitive basketball the suns defeated the warriors on tuesday night on 104 to 96 uh tremendous game uh deandre ayton led the scoring 24 points he had 11 rebounds hit 11 of his 19 shots from the field on the Warriors' side jordan Poole took over the scoring because it was a bit of a uh, a lockdown of of Steph Curry from Michael Bridges. Poole had twenty eight points uh, and hit six threes. Steph Curry was held at just twelve points on four of twenty one from the field. Michael Bridges was his primary defender, and and I'm telling you, man, Michael Bridges is going to win a Defensive Player of the Year award say, or two. We got some good young defensive players in the league right now. I think it was since nineteen ninety six. Only two non-guards have one defensive player, of the, or non-big men, mm. have one defensive player of the year, Ron Artest and Kawhi Leonard. I'm willing to bet my top dollar it's soon to be Mikal Bridges. He's so good. Watching him play defense, is it's beautiful to watch. I, I, I want to go, I, I go back and listen to that episode when we were ranking the NBA player. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The season. I'm pretty sure I was, like, really high on Mikal Bridges. Yeah. Right. I mean, what's, what's there not to be high on? I mean... He's gonna clamp your best player down. You know, I mean, any player in the league down. Mm-hmm. One through five, one through probably five in the modern NBA. But you know, and offensively, he's still gonna hit those shots for you. He's grown offensive game. I mean, I remember we talked about you know, he's probably would be an all star in any other team. But I think he's grown to make a case. You know, he could be an all star on this team right now and still contributing. And you got four, I think you know, four high level all star guys on that Suns team. And you know, and they still have depth too. They you know they got most of their depth retained from that finals run. Mm-hmm. And you know that that is a scary team come playoff time. Yeah, they're sitting at nineteen and three. <laughs> They've won eighteen in a row. 
Um, I've never. I feel like there's nobody in the NBA. Correct me if I'm wrong. Like right now, at his age, just where he's at with Mike Hilbert is. I don't know if there's anybody who moves as well as he does defensively. Has the 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 wingspan that he does. Gets his hands in there, and oh, and as you said, yeah, like the fact that he can knock down an open shot for you, take somebody to the basket. He can get to the rim and score efficiently because his arms are so dang long and he can score at the rim. My question is like, what's his ceiling, you know? Cause he is maybe the third or fourth option scoring on the, on a really good team as of right now. And he's not really a, an offensive creator, but he has every bit and piece of an all-star to me. I mean, he, he, and I think all you have to do to get into that all-star conversation is, is do something on a stage with a lot of people watching. And that's exactly what he did. He marketed himself so well by locking down Steph, who we have all thought of as an MVP front runner right now, and absolutely made him look helpless. Just, and that's all you got to do is everybody's going to see, whoa, look how Michael Bridges just did that defensively. Okay, let's let's keep an eye on him going forward. And that's all it takes, I think. Yeah, no, the all-star conversation is always very interesting every year because we go into it and we're like, oh, all you know, we pick out all the guys that look like they deserve to go to the all-star game. Then when you actually start thinking about the practicality of it and, and how many spots there are, every year there's always like five guys in each conference that were at one point a part, a part of the legit conversation, but in the last like week before their, the votes come out, it kind of is like, okay, maybe there is kind of a line here between there and there. And I think when the time comes, Mikal Bridges is going to be in that like last two or three guys, you know, just yeah. before the cut where it's like he had the potential to be an all-star. Maybe by the end of the season, he'll prove that he was better than these guys. But I think that in a crowded West with a lot of talent, and it also depends on the injuries and how many subs we get and all that stuff. But I think he's going to be just on that outside looking in of like, he was almost, you know, he had the talent and the performance, but there were just better guys. Yeah. And you're talking about, especially in the West with all those guards and forwards, I mean, you look at a guy like Mike Conley, who, mm-hmm. you know, exactly. for the longest time, you know, you'd say, oh, man, you know, he's definitely an all-star level player. More than that, exactly. you'd say you probably would maybe at his peak a top five point guard. But, you know, he just wouldn't get in. And I feel like Mikael Bridges, you know, like you said, sort of that same boat where it's like, you know, you have Durant and you have LeBron, you have probably Giannis, and, you know, then you start getting on a short list of small forwards and say, who would you generally want over Mikal Bridges on your team? And then you know, you start, you know, you have to make that argument for him. And, you know, it, it's tough because, you know, you have Jokic out there, you have Giannis, and especially now with, like, you know, how they pick the how they pick the All-Star games now. But, yeah. you know. Why Paul George both out in the West? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, Paul George is having a great, amazing season. Yes, exactly. he is. 100% deserves it too, but, yeah. I bet a lot of the guys who are voting for – for all stars, they don't they don't want to pick Michael Bridges because he locks them up, because huh. he he clamps them down so hard. Um, these are the top two teams in the Western Conference. Could this be a Western Conference Finals preview? I mean, I know we talked about how we haven't before the season we didn't know who was going to separate themselves in the West, and I think that we have two teams who are doing that right now with the Warriors and the Suns. I think it's interesting if you look at the standings. The Jazz are in third in the West; they're four and a half back. If you, wow. go, if you go over to the East. The first team that's four and a half back is in 11th place. Oh, my so gosh. The East is very, like, cramped. There aren't teams at the top with only two or three losses. But the West, you see some separation for sure. And I think you are right. These two teams, we didn't see them in 
either team in full action on Thursday. You know, um, Devin Booker went out early. Warriors still don't have Clay, and we saw Steph with an off night. So I think tonight's game, we're really going to see. You know, is Booker playing tonight? I don't think so. Yeah, no, no. But well, once we get a fully healthy team with Clay back and we see those two play, ooh, that will be something. Because that Warriors team last night, even though they lost, they kept it close on a bad Steph shooting night, and that itself is the scary part. Is that Jordan Poole can just go off for twenty eight, keep it a close game, and Draymond's out there. He's always playing winning basketball. Warriors are very dangerous. It's. I mean, they're just such a well coached team. I mean, most of the time, I don't think we. Sometimes Steve Kerr gets swept under the rug, as you know, one of those great minds of basketball. You know, with the offense, the way he sets it up, and you know, it doesn't need to revolve around Curry all the time, and that's what makes Curry so lethal. I mean, especially you know, like you said, with Clayback. Not just offensively, but defensively when Clay gets back alongside Wiggins. You know, it's just, it that team genuinely might be the scariest team. I mean, you're talking about a team that, you know, before they even had Durant, this was, you know, the best record of all time. Yeah. And, you know, and they, they still got the same depth pieces. Not, not different players, but, you know, the same quality depth as that team. You know, Steph Curry, he had a bad night. Mikel Bridges, you know. Is he going to be able to lock him up like that for seven straight games? You know, we're going to have to see. But, you know, it's it's. I think you're seeing here, it's, you know, obviously, you know, the level of players and the fit, I think, is above the, uh, you know, from both teams are above the rest of the conference. But also, you know, the quality of coaching, I think, with Monty Williams and Steve Kerr mm-hmm. alongside that, it just puts it on, like, a whole new level. Absolutely. And I think one thing to take away from the Suns last season is they were up 2-0 in the finals, but the Bucks figured them out. I mean, Giannis, adjustment. Giannis, when, you know, you have a generational player go off like that. Yeah. You I, just got to put your hands up. You know? <laughs> okay, I, Can't I, do nothing about this. I'm just going to let this I happen. Mean, ignoring that Giannis had an absolutely all-time performance in the finals, the fact that when you brought up that seven-game series, it made me think, like, you know, do the Suns have it in them to, you know, make those – adjustments to stay with the Warriors because if they you know get figured out and they don't make any changes you know that they could see the same fate that they saw in the finals last year so they're on that 18 they're on the 18 game win streak right now but teams are going to start to figure them out a little bit and what I have a feeling that they might slump a little bit after this winning streak and hopefully you know they they figure it out like they or they hopefully they go the different direction than they did in the finals last year can't show your teeth at all against this Warriors team. You just cannot do that, or they will take you down. In a matchup of some good Eastern Conference teams, we had the Chicago Bulls defeating the New York Knicks, hundred fifteen or hundred nineteen to one hundred fifteen. Excuse me. Uh, Demar Derozan led the scoring for the Chicago Bulls. He had thirty four points. Vucevic and Levine each with twenty seven. Pretty impressive from both. Uh, of those guys as well, Julius Randle for the Knicks, uh, 30 points, 12 rebounds, 6 assists. He's still putting up those big numbers. This was a good Eastern Conference uh, matchup. I feel like this would be a really good series to see in the playoffs. Um, I know that the the Bulls had a lead in that game, and the Knicks kind of pushed it back and, and, and tied the game at one point, but the Bulls ended up sneaking out of there with a win. So. Yeah, I mean... Here's the thing about the Bulls, and, you know, I, I mean, I'm, you know, huge Bulls fan. You know, the way we've played, you know, at, you know, in the open court has been amazing. But the problem is, one, if we can't stop them defensively, 
our offense is just completely stagnant at times in the half court. Mm. And that's where we see the most problems in the second half, you know. We saw we couldn't defend as well, you know, and then get stagnant because, you know, DeRozan, Levine are great scorers. But in the half court, you know, the ball sort of gets stagnant. And, you know, it doesn't, you know, we can't move it around as well. And then, you know, we start forcing up shots. And I feel like that's where, you know, our weaknesses and come playoff time, you know, if we don't, you know, figure out, you know, who's, Who's going to be the scorer? How are we going to generate in the half court? That's going to come back to hurt us. However, flipping the script, Nikola Vucevic, when he's hitting shots, you know, like we like finally, you know, it's been a breakthrough. He's had COVID. He's been struggling early on. Last couple of games, he's getting his form, especially, you know, I remember Carter calling me, you know, top of the key threes and how vital that is to the offense. And, you know, if, if he starts in those offensively, you know, maybe it does help in the half court. But, what I really want to talk about is Alex Caruso mm-hmm. and what he does on that court. Because, you know, like we said, when Michael Bridges defensively, he just he's just everywhere. You know, he gets the steals, he gets the rebounds. Same thing with Alex Caruso. I mean, he's off the bench and he's leading the league in steals with 2.4 already. And, you know, f- to get that off your bench, especially, you know, that defensive production. But not only that, but, you know, his offensive IQ, I think, is just as good as his defensive IQ, making plays making the right pass, you know, being in the right position, setting the right picks as well. And, you know, for the Knicks, I mean, the Knicks have been in a lot of close games. And, you know, it comes down to, you know, part of it is the rotations. I know Thibs has been under major scrutiny. And, you know, you're going to have to shuffle things around until you get it right. But, you know, you're starting off these games poorly. I mean, there's been multiple games where they started off, you know, double digits, down by double digits. And, you know, they come back an inch forward. You know, and then they lose in these close games. And part of that is, okay, who who's going to get it started? Who's going to be that jump start right away? Do you start Derrick Rose over Emmanuel quickly? What do you what do you have to do, you know, to to win these games? Because playoff teams win these games. You look at the Bulls. Why, why, who closed it down the stretch for them? DeMar DeRozan. You know, they let their stars play. And, you know, Randall missed two big free throws. You know, it is what it is. But, you know. Who's going to step up on that team, you know, to be that guy? Yeah, no, and the Bulls, the one thing I'm noticing with them is their glue guys are playing really well. Caruso, Derek Jones Jr. Kobe White, too. Kobe White coming back. He (laughs) is looking so good. I have never lost hope on Kobe White, but my brother, my dad, they have been so out on him. Because everyone just wanted him to play a different role, though. Like, exactly. Exactly. He's not the Just let him be Kobe, man. Exactly. And, you know, seeing him finally slip into his role, Javante Green playing well. That's, yeah. Um, to, uh, Tony Bradley, you know, at the five, you know, yeah. getting some decent minutes. I, I think he could see a lot of improvement there. But I really like all these guys that are fitting in really well with Levine and Lonzo. And, yeah, we haven't even talked about Lonzo. <laughs> I saw this tweet, you know, last night, and it was like, you know, the, look at – the Bulls are really fun to watch, and it was all the lobs and all the fast break plays. And these plays are only from the first half. And I was like, yeah, only, exactly. They played really well in the first half, moving the ball up the court. Mm. And then second half, like Josh said, just stagnant. They don't move the ball. Everyone's kind of standing around, you know, on an island just waiting for Zach to drive in and dunk, you know, or Vooch to, you know, get something going in the post. So yeah, they did get stagnant in the second half last night, and that's definitely what allowed Emmanuel quickly and those Knicks to get back in that third quarter, put a little pressure on the Bulls. But luckily, Bulls pulled it out, you know, escaped yeah. with the win. Um, that's what winning and playoff teams do. They, you know, battle back from adversity. Don't let it 
stop them from getting the W, and we overall got it done. And let me say, six, 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 and four for Alex Caruso last Insane. night, plus twenty one. So I mean, uh, yeah, you know. just, just what an impact off the bench from him this season. Apparently, Zach Levine before the game went up to Stephen A. Smith in the stands and said. I know you want us to lose tonight, but it ain't happening <laughs> before the game. So, very nice. Uh, I definitely uh, noticed him in the stands last night. Oh, yeah, he was... I was like, "Wait, is that Stephen A. standing behind uh, the bench?" A picture of him when the the, <laughs> the Knicks are down twenty, and he's just yep, yep. sullen face. Um, uh, well, I was listening to that. I had a couple questions. Um, is the stagnant offense uh, in the half court is that a Billy Donovan issue, or what do you guys think that is? I mean, I I think some part of it has to be on the coach because you know you have to orchestrate an offense. I feel like see, you know I feel like the same thing Thunder fans had about Billy when he was there was that you know he just was like basically you know let Chris Paul cook and that there really wasn't you know any formation you know with Chris Paul in the offense is more let Chris Paul do pick and rolls and just you know it basically was it. So, I mean, I think part of it, it has to be on him. And, you know, he's still, you know, it's still his first year with essentially, you know, his roster and the roster that, you know, Arturo's Karnasovas built. So I, I still think, you know, the jury's still out. I think we'll know probably by February All-Star break, you know, if this is going to be a serious problem in the playoffs. But, you know, obviously, you know, it, it's, it's you know, it's, it's just really early. Yeah, no, I, I think it's more just... You know, players, like I said, standing around waiting for DeMar to go into the ISO mid-range or waiting for Levine to dribble drive and find something in the lane or waiting for Vooch to just take the ball and do something mm-hmm. in the post. So, you know, I, I think there is some standing and watching around, which I think, you know, has to go. There just there has to be more off-ball movement. That also maybe like a Lonzo Ball thing. Like, yeah. he's, he's, a, he's a point guard who likes to get out and run. Exactly. exactly. And when he's not out and running, you know, he's just kind of... I mean, I think that I saw, I forgot what the stat was, but... Often opponents make Bulls have like the fifth worst field goal percentage or mm. fifth worst offensive rating or something around that range. But the point is, you see this that huge drop off in their offensive rating after you know versus a miss. I think we were like top ten for like off a make. We were like bottom ten in the league, and just wow. that variety of you know we just can't operate in the half court for some reason. That's an interesting stat. Yeah, I mean. Bulls just gotta get it going, and it's not like we're in trouble or anything. We're I mean, we're I mean, yeah, we're we're shown. We have little tweaks, you know, to make here and there. I mean, our defensive, our we're basically living off our defense right now. But I'll take it though. I could. I was gonna say that 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 transition, you know, half court offense could be a bit of an issue come playoff time. Um, But it's so fun. Then again, it's so fun to watch. Oh yeah, it's so fun. Just, oh, yeah. just the clips from the first half last night. It was like that. That was better than all of our highlights from last season. Combined. Last three seasons, one <laughs> half. Yeah, that's decade probably. Yeah. And then, uh, what's the optimal Kobe White role? You think? I've just... always said it's that two scoring guard that doesn't the bench, have the yeah. pressure off the bench that can provide some quick electric scoring. There's not the pressure of having to be that. You know, the that guy that passes passer, the ball yeah. around and the floor general. He can, you know, be he can just be there to score and doesn't have to be that point guard that I think we were really trying to force him into. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I always told people. You know, get him in that Lou Will war role. Ex- you know, bingo. Lou that Williams, seems, yeah. just, just let him cook. And bingo. you know, and you know, this is especially why I love the addition of Caruso. You know, because I think him and Kobe White just complement each other so well. Obviously, you know, Caruso is a better playmaker. He's going to make a pass. And not only that, defensively, you know, Kobe's not the best defender. He can defend at an average level, but, you know, he's not going to be that. He's not going to lock your 
lock you off, you know, while you have, you know, Patrick Williams, you know, while he's out, or while you have your other great defender like Alonzo out. So, you know, he still allows you to play Kobe White. And, you know, if you're struggling offensively, like we said, and you need a playmaker, well, you know, say Levine's in foul trouble or DeMar's in foul trouble, and it's going to happen in the playoffs. You know, Kobe White's showing that he can be that guy. And, you know, he can go and he can play those minutes. And, you know, I think lots of people, you know, like you said, did write him off. And it's just really refreshing to see him not only carve out a role, but, you know, a very important role on a two-seed in the East. No, I yeah, that's I, I'm just very excited about the Bulls and what's to come. And then the Knicks, we have the <sighs> Knicks. We have a team that, since the Nixon administration, has just been irrelevant. They have not been. They have not won anything of significance. They have not been a significant franchise. This I'm only saying this. This just comes off the back of 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 last season. A lot of Knicks fans had a lot of things to say, unprovoked all season long about the Hawks, about Trey Young, and then they matched up in the playoffs, and it was all, Knicks are going to win in five. Trey Young's never been in the playoffs. He can't beat this team. Well, then he goes into Madison Square Garden and silences them and averages 30, and it looks like it's just unfair. It was insulting that the Knicks were on the same court as them, but that fan base with some unbridled, undeserving sense of entitlement still continues to talk about Trey Young all throughout the playoffs as Trey Young is averaging 30 as a five seed and taking down teams where he is severely outmatched, severely an underdog. Uh, do they stop talking? No, absolutely not. Of course they don't because for some reason they feel that they belong among the NBA's elites. But truthfully, they are not. They have not been in a very long time. You had Carmelo Anthony and did nothing with it. You're You're... you're Crowning achievement with Carmelo was beating a seven seed team, I think, when you were a two seed. So, so congratulations to New York. Congratulations, your team has done nothing of significance, and you won't, and you just won't. But continue to to keep talking about Trey Young. You know what I mean? The Knicks, like, and then now also we have to talk about let's let's uh, let's go from a more practical standpoint. How how do we fix the Knicks? I was gonna say like. Their most their crowning achievement besides their championships in the seventies was being good when Michael Jordan wasn't in the league in the nineties. <laughs> so, I, I like at this point, I think I actually think they're moving in the right direction. I was a fan of the Kemba signing at the time, that has aged po- very poorly. More than poorly. More than poorly. <laughs> like it couldn't have gone any worse. It took twenty games for them to take him out of the rotation. Uh, yeah, it, that, it's honestly really sad to me to see Kemba like this. But um, you look at the rest of the team. I really like Emmanuel quickly. Julius, I Rand- actually do too. Julius Randall has had a, had an extremely quick turnaround from being like a decent like upcoming player to one of like a, an established all star. Like he is, he is here. He can drop thirty on you whenever you know, whenever you least expect it. Except for if he sees Danilo Gallinari guarding him. Ooh, <laughs> uh, fear the gallo. But I mean, you look at. The right, you know, how the team is made up. I like D. Rose at the one. They're making the right moves. I think they're going in the right direction. I am a fan of Thibodeau as Thibodeau as a coach. You know, Bulls fan bias there. <laughs> I don't think they need to like totally just alter the course right now. I think they'll still be a, they'll definitely be a playoff team by the end of the season. I, they'll figure it out. I, I think. I I don't think they're winning a title anytime in the next 
century. three, four years at least. <laughs> but, you know, New York can always ev- somehow eventually be turned around into a free agent destination, I think, just because it is New York City. And I, I think uh. I, I think it's going to uh, require the removal of a certain owner. Mm-hmm. And I think that is holding them back quite a bit. But once they become a free agent destination, which I think is something that can happen over the course of a few years. I mean, look at Chicago. It was a wasteland in terms of free, in terms of being a free agent destination from twenty since Derek Rose since Derek probably Rose, since Michael Jordan left. Honestly, I, or I was gonna say, well, since D Rose pretty much waved off LeBron all the way up until this season, it's pretty much been a you know we, superstars don't want to come here. Mm. It's washed up. You know, Rajon Rondo and Dwayne Wade, oh. and you know Denzel Valentine and. Jabari Parker and all those types of guys. So that, because when a team isn't, you know, a free agent destination, it can really back up, a, you know, the program for probably a decade, you know, at least. And I think New York, if they can turn around their image like Chicago did a little bit, I think that's the step they need to make. Oh, because you get about Paul Gasol, too, in there. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Hey, All star pow. That's gonna say he wanted one all star with the Bulls. I, I did forget he was a free agent, but I'm not gonna disrespect Bull Pow. He was a cornerstone for the franchise. Oh man, I mean, you know, it's it's the Knicks at the end of the day. You know, Bing Bong, whatever. You know, they want to say in their their little things. You know, they're always gonna be. You know, they always will find a way to choke it. You know, and you know that's that's the Knicks. But um, you know, I do agree. You know, they're making solid moves. Randall was a amazing signing for them you know people i think were making fun of him they're like oh you didn't get durant you got randall obviously you know you, you know it's durant but you know still you know a great signing and you know i just think it's more of like the back load of guards that they have that are just all do the same thing they're all scorers and you know you need some diversity you need some defense in there you need guys who can do different things you know like a mikhail bridges like we said people who can rebound people who can defend people you know it's a three and D league, and you know they only had threes. I feel like they have to find Julius Randall running mate, because, I mean, Julius Randall was not really like in their playoff series against Atlanta was pretty unreliable. You know, he wasn't knocking down shots. He was still facilitating as best he could, but if if you're trying to come back in a game, you need somebody who's gonna get buckets for you do you trust Derek Rose or like Alec Burks to do that for you long term I don't think so I don't think so you have to find somebody I don't know if Julius Randle like I hate to I hate to like throw memes and 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 hot takes and stuff like that but I don't think Julius Randle is that guy pal I just I don't think I mean I don't think so when it comes to playoff time because you know even the players were talking about it and Julius Randle said it was a fairly simple series I think I overcomplicated it. But what exactly did you overcomplicate, dude? Any body that the Hawks threw at you defended you incredibly well. They were forcing you into these tough long twos and 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 inefficient shooting. He shot like 29% from the field, no matter who was guarding him, whether it was DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, Gallinari, even Solomon Hill. You know, so they have to find somebody else because I don't think I don't think they're going they're making a deep playoff run with Julius Randle as their number one option. I was going to say, they're not a championship team. No, no. He is not a number one option on a championship team. That is clear. I think he can be a number two if you have like a third reliable scoring option, which I think in Emmanuel quickly can, you know, become like next, you know, like he can be an established mm-hmm. scorer, I think, next season. Because he does He's some very stuff good. where I'm like, oh, 
this man can play. Like, last night when he hit a couple threes to get them back in the game, I think to get them within 79 to 76, he had a big three that I was like, oh, Good. look out for him. So, Emmanuel quickly, I think, can be the third guy, but imagine, like, a Paul George yeah. coming to play yeah. with him. And, that I'm thinking like a CJ. McC- I'm thinking like a CJ McCollum, like a scoring that. guard. CJ McCollum on his own. That's something that like, I'm not sure that he. I think him with Randall would fit decently well. That's what I'm saying. He like I, I'm like he could score like 30 on his own without yeah. Lillard. Honestly, like it wouldn't shock me. I don't. I think his potential on it like without Lillard hasn't been totally tapped yet. Like I, I think there's definitely some more there. Definitely. I think a surprising team, we'll move on from the Knicks and Bulls, we'll talk about a team that's kind of surprised us a little bit. That's the Minnesota Timberwolves. Now, they're sitting at 11-11 and right now, but they are 7-3 and in their last 10. They have been playing really good basketball as of late, and of course, I think that starts at the top with Carl Anthony Towns, one of the better players in the league. I think one of the more underrated players in our league. Uh, he's averaging 26 points, 9 rebounds, shooting at 53% from the field, 43.5% from three. And Anthony Edwards, the young star, 20 points, 7 rebounds, 4 assists over his last 10, 43% from the field, 36% from three. Maybe those efficiency numbers don't jump out at you, but he is still young and still is learning how to play the game at the professional level but they have a lot of young talent i'm a big Jaden mcdaniels fan i think he's really talented d'angelo russell still playing well as of late it's a decently well-rounded team uh, and they also have great coaching Uh, chris finch from the toronto raptors is a really tremendous coach i know that as we said divisions uh don't really matter but they are second in their division and they've just been playing well i mean if this team can somehow get to like a play-in I would love to watch Anthony Edwards playoff basketball. That would be exciting. I mean, yeah. absolutely. And pair, again, pairing him with Cat, I've never understood the Cat slander. Why? No, I don't either. Why people are like, oh, he's kind of washed off. He's he's always been a top five center for the last five. Like years. Top two or three. Well, to I was going to say yeah. like at five. Uh, There's just good centers in the league, yeah, you know. I was going <laughs> to say like I just said top five because I wasn't exactly sure who would be above him, but I think it's him. Cat and Embiid. Yeah. Exactly. Jokic. Yep. So, yeah, it's them three, I think, for the past four or five I mean, years. yeah. Mm-hmm. Sort of reminds me of, like, another old Timberwolves big man. Before mm-hmm. we got disrespected, I think, you know, our Moses. But Kevin Love, you know, mm-hmm. with him as well. And, you know, he was a possibly the best power forward in the league for multiple years, but, you know, before his yeah. Cleveland days. And, you know, he just never got respect because, you know, his teams just didn't win games. I feel like, you know, there's a lot of young stars you know, could be that, you know, could possibly be top five in their position. But, you know, they lose games. They don't have a market, you know. Like Carter said, and, you know, Carl Anthony Towns is, you know, he's, he, in my opinion, he's a top three center for the last couple of years. With his offensive ability, he might be the, I'd say he's the best shooting center of all time. Statistically, he is. And, oh, wow. You know, with that stretch four game, you know, he can score inside. Defensively, he's not the best. But offensively, he might be the most gifted center or gifted big man in the league right now. And a pair of that, you know, Anthony Edwards, you know what you're getting with him. Just pure excitement. And also D'Angelo Russell. And, you know, I, I said that they'd be a playing team at the beginning of the season. Maybe it was a little risky then. <laughs> I'm sure. It might be paying off. I mean, it's only it's December. Paying but off so far. But, you know, I'll, 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 I'll take the 100% of it, if, you know, if it works out. But 
You know, they're they're playing really good, and Chris Finch has them playing good ball. You know, they look way better than I thought they would, and I'm glad I made my early season apology to Josh about <laughs> saying they'd be good, because boy, was I wrong. I thought they had a couple decent pieces, and I was kind of 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 hesitant to put them as like a oh they could they could surprise some people in the West because you know Minnesota's been in the past couple of years since that playoff appearance with Jimmy Butler not not very good, uh so I I didn't really know what to make of them other than I thought that they weren't going to be that good, but they do have a couple young pieces. I'm sure they'll add another one uh, in the draft this year because there's a ton of good talent I think coming out this year. So you you I think that. With this pick, you round out your your core, your young core. You have Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Ed- and Anthony Edwards who uh, play really well off of each other, I think. And then you also have what you get from D'Angelo Russell if you can get a guard that gets you twenty something points a game with these two guys. That's really good. And I'm a, as I've said, I'm a I'm a Jaden McDaniel's guy, and also Jared Vanderbilt is a surprising young player I think who's been pretty decent. You have Josh Okogie who can play some defense. Nas Reed. There's a lot of there's a lot of good young potentially promising pieces on this team. I'm interested to see where they can go. No, absolutely. Nas Reed is a big dude in real life. He walked, is he really? He walked I mean, a, yeah, he, was, <laughs> he walked into a chicken shop when I was in high school. Oh, yeah? Think, yeah, and it was just like, is that Nas Reed? Holy moly. And, yeah, that big dude. That dude, whew, a little scary. be hard to miss him. Isn't he like 6'11"? 6'11 or 7 foot, yeah, but like he's just strong too. Like he's just absolutely red. Real wide built, huh? Yeah. He's big jelly, that's what they call him. He's all right. Um and then I think the last thing we'll talk about before we get to uh, tonight's games. Someone who's playing in tonight's games is Trey Young, obviously, as we know, is one of my favorite players in the league. He plays for my team. In his last 10 games, he the Hawks are 9 and 1. And he's averaged 29 points, 9 assists, 51% from the field, 44% from three. And you want to know the thing that I think is the biggest, most glaring stat of all, of all this? Four free throw attempts a game this season. There you go. He's averaging pretty much 30 and 10, only shooting four free throws a game. So... 2018, it was the Hawks got fleeced in the Luka trade. 2019, it was empty stats. He'll never be a winner. Last year it was he can only score off free throws. That's the only way that his game can uh, ex- excel. What is it this year? And, I don't think there's anything anymore. And let's not forget how they wrote him off in college too. Yep. Oh, in, yeah. what was Too it, small. Can't. Twenty-eight and nine or something like it was. Something yeah, something, something like that. He led the nation in scoring and assists as yeah. a true freshman. And yeah, everyone was just oh, we could never do this in the NBA. You know, never, never. And he is just proving them wrong again and again. And yeah, I, I, well, I can't say anything. And I got to say, I was one of those people that wasn't necessarily, like, hating on him, but I was just like, I don't think he's going to be that good. Like, I don't, you know, I don't see him improving that much from here. But he has exceeded every one of my expectations for him, which I I, I got I can't hate on him for it. It's got to respect it. I, I don't get – I don't really get the hate anymore, why people feel the need to put him down and stuff. It's – like, no one expected this, and he's just proven everyone wrong. Like, come on. I think the playoff series – his 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 incredible playoff run changed a lot of people's minds. Like, oh wow, this is a young player who can, who can re- who can really play in this league and be a star and be one of the best. Yeah, not gonna lie, this is gonna be my public apology to Trey Young for everything <laughs> I said in the past. Because you know, me too, man. Said I was one of those people who doubted Trey Young, especially two years ago on this podcast. I said Trey Young would never be able to contribute to winning basketball. 
<laughs> Trey Young would not be able. He's too inefficient. He scored too too much. And I would just like to apologize to Trey Young <laughs> and all the Hawks fans because I've been completely wrong from that. And you know, like you said, he just keeps proving people wrong. People like me, um, you know, and you know that he's just keeping that efficiency up too. Well, you know, lowering those free throws. Normally, you see a lot. You know, free throws go down. Your efficiency, you know, goes down too. But you know, he's keeping it up. Still, he has those distributing numbers, and you know, he's still shooting lights out. And he's still that lethal shooter, and he's still getting his shots, and he's still hitting them too. And even his driving has still been, you know, you you think maybe you know his driving numbers gone down. It hasn't gone down. And, he's you know, still getting. He's it, still yeah. he's still getting his and. You know, Trey Trey Young's been top. I think he's a top five point guard. He solidified it. I'd even possibly go top three this season. But you know that that's getting a little risky. But um, you know he he's proving people wrong. And I I think you know I think he's quietly sh- uh, he you know the haters have been silenced. And when you're in a trade with Luka Doncic and you know people say he didn't lose the trade, I think that just tells you how elite of a player this man has been. I'm biased, but I wanted to get your guys' perspective. To me, it's only Steph in front of him in terms of point guards. I was going to say, when you said top three point guards, I was like, is he really top three? And the only person that I was like, that came to mind was Steph. Yeah. I think Steph, I'd want to say Chris Paul, but I'm not sure because Chris Paul has been having a very efficient thing in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if I'd be ready enough to put him over Chris Paul. But I think you put go Chris Paul, Steph over him. I don't think there's another point guard better than that. I think he's better than Rushbrook. Kyrie, if he's playing, maybe, but, that, you know, that, you don't... That's what I thought. If, if Kyrie's, Kyrie's playing, playing, maybe, but I still think it's neck and neck now with how he's been playing. I th- I think before this year, I would say Lillard, for sure, but Lillard's Lillard been, this Lillard's year, been, been rough this year. He's And I think, I think, I think Trey is a better uh, facilitator than I was gonna say most that guys other than maybe Chris Paul. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say. So, I mean, his passing is some of the best in the league. Uh, the Hawks have been really good, and that'll... We'll go into that. We'll talk about who is playing tonight. The Sixers and the Hawks. They The Sixers go to Atlanta tonight, 7.30 p.m. on ESPN. Atlanta is a one-and-a-half-point favorite, so it's close. They'll be without Cam Reddish, Bogdan Bogdanovich, uh, DeAndre Hunter, and Onyeko Okonglu. They will be without all those guys. The Sixers, uh, save for Ben Simmons, are entirely healthy. The Hawks have been really good at home. I think they've only lost one game at home. I think that the Sixers, I think there's a reason that the line is so short in favor of Atlanta, and I think that's that's because they're missing so many guys. They are playing better as of late, but the Sixers are the healthier team. I would probably take the Sixers to win this one. Because I think you know, I think that the spread is is a little too short for it to be like a like a cover the spread type of thing. So mm-hmm. I would say I would I think Philadelphia wins tonight just because of the fact that they're healthier. I was gonna say that when you were listing out the players, like those are some important role players, like you know Bogdanovich and DeAndre Hunter. Those are definitely two names not to you know sneeze at when you know you see they're out. So, and the fact that the line is short makes me think like okay, there's more there's more to this than I don't know. So your Sixers prediction doesn't like totally blow me out of the water, but like. It's hard to bet against the you know Hawks just based on just looking at paper on this game and the nature of how they've been playing. Each team has been playing, so I'd probably just take the Hawks, but I, the Sixers I could definitely see them winning tonight. I mean, yeah, you know, obviously, you know, Hawks have all those impact players down. I think it comes down to who's going to be the best player on the court today, and I think if Joel Embiid's slowly getting better, 
that's Joel Embiid right now. And, you know, the, the Sixers, they also have insane depth, too. And you're missing four of your best role players today, especially Okongu off the bench, you know, with that defense on Embiid, especially later down the stretches. When Capella, you know, maybe get into foul trouble, Capella's going to be off. You know, who's going to be the guy to step up and guard Joel for, you know, 30-plus minutes today? So I think for that reason alone, I think I'm going to take the Sixers to cover and win. I agree with that. I mean, Capella was not a tremendous defender of uh, of Joel Embiid in that playoff series, even with a torn meniscus. I think Okongwu did a much better job. And then later tonight, we have a Suns and Warriors rematch, 10 p.m. on ESPN. Golden State is a seven-point favorite. No Devin Booker, uh, and the Warriors, I think, are are pretty healthy, so... I like Golden State and the points. I don't know about you, Carter. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean the Suns. They still looked, you know, pretty good. And were able to finish strong without Booker, you know, last game. So, you know, give give Steve Curry, you know, some time to make some adjustments. You know, two games within a week. You know, that's, you know, not not a playoff series, but you know, you kind of get that feel of you know you're playing the same team pretty back to back. Make some quick adjustments on the fly. So. You know, I, I see Golden State probably winning tonight. I don't know if I'll give them the points, though. I think it'll be a close nail-biter if I had to guess. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's Steph Curry. You're not going to contain him all the time. And the only thing that scares me more than Curry is a Curry coming off a bad game. Right. Especially one you know, you, you know all the narratives are gonna, that will be happening, and I'm sure Steph Curry knows that if he doesn't put up an amazing performance today. And that that's enough just to for me to hammer Golden State right away. <laughs> you know, I I would not want to see an angry Steph Curry. You know, he's guy. I you know he's gonna go off today. I'm assuming. And you know, no Devin Booker. I think Steve Kerr will have a good game plan, especially defensively, especially with Draymond, especially in the middle and the heart of that defense with all the switching too. So I'm willing to. Uh, I think Golden State minus seven is a fairly safe bet for today. Yeah, I I would just be surprised if Mike Bridges locked up Steph again, and that's just because I think Steph's going to do the work to get himself back to having a good scoring game. And before we get out of here, we each uh, figured out a game that we thought would be one to pay attention to for potentially a uh, good classic matchup. And mine was I've got the Wizards going to Toronto Sunday at 6 p.m. I just think that, like, I know that uh, the Raptors aren't a great team record-wise. They're under 500, but I think they've been playing much better basketball as of late. The Wizards are still third in the East, still playing some pretty good ball as well. I think the difference is because I wanted to I wanted to highlight Scotty Barnes. I think the guy already has been playing elite basketball in his rookie season. It's between right now. It's I think it's a two-man race between him and Evan Mobley for rookie of the year. The difference for me with Scotty Barnes is he was always going to be a good uh, defender and he's a decent facilitator, but the shooting has been really good. Over his last 10, he's been shooting it at 43% from 3. I think he's I think they said he's hit 13 threes in his last 6 games. And that was and th- and this is a guy who came in the league and and there were questions about can he knock down shots from the outside. Already he's answering them that he can that he can be a reliable outside shooter. This is not surprising to me because of the fact that Masai Ujiri is just an incredible talent scout. He has always been able to find top talent, elite talent, no matter where he's picking in the draft, or even undrafted, as we've seen in the case of Fred Van Vliet. So I think that this should be fun to watch. It's a it's an Eastern Conference matchup of 
some teams that are kind of on the come up, and I think that this should be a really fun one, and I'm going to tune in and watch it for sure. So, shout out to the Raptors. They're building back again after a rough season last year. I wouldn't be surprised to see them back in the playoff picture. Yeah, no, for sure. That's a great matchup to look forward to for for my matchup of the week. It feels pretty obvious just because they're the top two teams in the East, but the Bulls and Nets looking good on Saturday night. I mean, I don't know. Like, as a Bulls fan, if I had to pick, like, one team to, like, well, you know, who do I want to watch tonight? Like, Bulls, Nets, you know, it's not like, they're, I'm, oh, they're probably going to lose. I would say, like, the Warriors are a fun team to watch. You know, but the Bulls and Nets, I feel like it's going to be a good game. You get CKD and Harden against, you know, the Bulls, big three. The Nets are definitely an interesting team this year because, you know, the players that we thought were going to play a lot and get a lot of minutes aren't necessarily doing that. We see Blake Griffin kind of out of the rotation at this point. Paul Millsap isn't necessarily contributing like we thought he would. Um, just a lot of questions for Brooklyn, and we already talked about the Bulls enough. So I, I just think that top two teams in the East Saturday night definitely a game to watch this weekend yeah you know great game my game's a little bit you know Saturday has a bunch of you know great games you know you got the you got you know like he said you know Nets Bulls Celtics Jazz I'm probably gonna go for a game that you know might slide under the radar a bit and that's Grizzlies at Mavericks I think you know obviously you're gonna see Luka Doncic play you know it's always worth seeing but I feel like, you know, the Grizzlies are a young team. Very, you know, it's going to be a high offensive game. You're sure to see some highlight plays on that one for sure. You know, you're going to see some good shooting. And, you know, the, you know, the Grizzlies right off their 73-point game and see what they can do. And I see, you know, I get, you know, Ja Morant's not playing. If Ja was playing, you know, I'd probably put it all the more, you know, the more the merrier. But I feel like, you know, seeing Jaron Jackson, you know, playing also, you know, like you said, Luka and that Mavs team. I feel like it's going to be like you know a good match because I feel like you know it's strength on strength you know just an offensive output. I had the Grizzlies seventy three and a half point favorites. Did I win it? <laughs> no, I guess not. Okay, so we'll get out of here, and uh, we hope that you guys have a good weekend. Watch some good ball. Watch the matchups we talked to y'all about. Y'all have a good weekend. We'll see you next week. Thanks y'all for listening. <laughs>